Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. Since I'm an architect, I don't write very much, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna have, I have about 200 words, but then I have a lot of pictures. And you know how much the pictures are worth, how many words they're worth. So I think actually my talk will be longer than anybody else's, in terms of words, not in terms of time. So a new renaissance, the church is patroness of the arts. Uh, thank you, Dr. Crayson, for, um, for uh, composing this conference, and um, uh, probably, um, you had an extra slot and they said, well, what the heck, uh, can we find somebody else to kind of, just kind of give everybody a break, you know, <laughs> from uh, things. So I'm pleased to be here and do that. I've been to Franciscan a number of times in uh, the last uh, couple of decades and I'm glad to see it. I told the kids as we were coming in that you had just built a new uh, church and they were admiring the architecture of the new church and then I explained it was the gym. And they were very happy to see that, that Franciscan has finally become Catholic and has a nice big gym. So, um, no, uh, that's just a joke. Um, I want to thank Carrie Libetti, all of uh, the other speakers uh, who I've met, uh, Ben Weicker for a very serious and not very funny talk um, that I will try to follow up on with some of the things that he said and I'll try to actually um, build upon it because um, I don't know what else to say. And I thought that we'd start with this image uh, simply because we're in the octave of what? Yeah, so this is kind of an art image and it's kind of a nice image. And you probably don't know this guy, but he's the little Raphael, Raffaellino del Garbo. Beautiful image of the resurrection. I'm wondering if we could take down the lights and... Um, excellent. Yes, all the way, all the way, all the way. It's much more romantic. <laughs> All right, thank you, thank you. Um, so following up on uh, the previous talk and the, um, the idea of the university, it's clear that many of the modern institutions that we're most proud of, the university, colleges, hospitals in particular, were founded and maintained by the church and we are beneficiaries of the, them today. We also acknowledge that in the world of art, architecture and music, the church has been a major force and patron up through the early 20th century. In fact, it can be demonstrated that one of the major ways that the church influenced culture historically was through the arts. We can also admit this is no longer the case. In the 20th century, the arts moved away from the church and found more appealing patrons in civic and private realms. The interest in concepts such as primitivism, the occult, abstraction, disfigurement, and even iconoclasm by artists generally did not sit well with the church. And so she moved away from mainstream art. After World War II in Europe, there was an embrace of modernist art and architecture by some in the church as witnessed in the work commissioned by Father Couturier O.P., uh, such as this parish church at Assis, France, where they hired a number of well-known modernist and unbelieving artists to produce art. 
And then later, the monastery of La Tourette, also Dominican, where the preeminent architect of the day, Le Corbusier, an avowed pagan, was hired to invent a new type of monastery for the Dominicans. Couturier basically uh, said in his writings that there were no uh, believing artists, that all the great artists of the day were agnostics or atheists, and so the church needed to reject the other and embrace the leading artists of the day. Today, the situation is complex. On the one hand, we see a continued movement to take cues from secular art and architecture. This is most clear in these major and very expensive projects, such as the cathedrals in Oakland, Los Angeles, and Orange, as well as the chapel at Ave Maria University. Um, interestingly, if you think about one of these cathedrals, they're in the 200 million ballpark, you could build all of Franciscan University uh, brand new for that budget, just to put that in context. So, so that's, one, that's one thing that's going on today. On the other hand, there's a desire for traditional architecture, but it's often done in a mediocre way due to the modest budgets or the limited knowledge of the artists and architects. So those I see are the two extremes. Given our present predicament, there seem to be many more important things for the church to invest in than the arts. We just heard about one of them. So why should we invest in the arts? For the same reasons that the church has historically invested in the arts. They can be seen as that which people do with their treasure, reflecting their highest aspirations. Not only can they symbolize that which is beyond us, but art and architecture can point us away from the material toward the immaterial. It is the church's belief that the eternal truths are just as true today as they were in the time of Christ, and that modern man is in need of learning them, even if he thinks they are irrelevant. Thus, a compelling art and architecture can speak to modern man, not necessarily in a way he is expecting. For example, I would suggest that Notre Dame Cathedral, St. Peter's Basilica, and the Sistine Chapel are recognized by people as beautiful, profound, and moving, whether you have faith or not. So where are the Notre Dame Cathedrals being built today? Some might point to this building, La Sagrada Familia. Do you know it? In Barcelona. How can we in our time offer an image of the eternal to modern man in the American context? An image that can help to form modern man and also help to form the art and architecture of the secular realm. If done right, it will also speak to future generations. In order to influence the culture again, we need to re-embrace the church's role as patroness of the arts. And here I include painting, sculpture, architecture, music, drama, and dance. My favorite, of course, is liturgical dance. <laughs> Not really, but I do have a daughter who's a ballerina, and I think it's fantastic. Ballet, that is. So what is patronage? Patronage is the support and promotion of the arts. It implies high standards and lavish funds. 
Arts patronage exists in the world and is crucial to the existence of many of our arts institutions. You think of museums, ballet, opera, symphony orchestras. The church as patroness shows an interest in influencing all the arts, even while her main focus must be on the art in service of the church and her liturgy. So, nurtured by her tradition, the church has, has a clearer vision about the importance of things such as beauty that are appreciated but less understood in the secular realm. Patronage should be a general goal of the church, but in practice, it's a work of individuals, of everyone in this room. We need priests, bishops, cardinals, and laity to re-embrace their historic role as patrons of the arts. Behind every great building, there are two people, an architect and his patron. Behind every great public work of art, there is a talented artist and a wise patron. And that doesn't mean that getting there was easy to do. The Sistine Chapel ceiling is a case in point an acknowledged work of genius across the world. But it is Pope Julius II who gets the credit for convincing that feisty sculptor from Florence to pick up paintbrushes against his wishes. So he really preferred sculpture. And we think of the Medicis who hired top architects to build their palaces, so in a sense for their private, not for their private, but for their family and their business, but they also hired top painters of the day to make art for their palaces. Perhaps most importantly though, they were patrons of church art and architecture. One thinks of the major family church, one of the first new churches of the Italian Renaissance called San Lorenzo in Florence. They paid for most of it, but then other families could participate by paying for a side chapel and commissioning artists such as Ghirlandaio to paint an altarpiece. What are the things that the church as an institution, pastors, and individuals can do to promote a culture of beauty, truth, and life? May I touch on three desperately needed today. First, to find and foster the work of artists. Second, to create a market for religious art. And third, to train future artists through a college-level program in sacred art. Vatican II writes that in commissioning artists and choosing works of art to be admitted into a church, what should be required is that true excellence in art which nourishes faith and devotion and accords authentically with both the meaning and the purpose for which it is intended. First, we need to search out the finest Catholic artists and give them projects to work on. This is risky, like investing in a startup, but the potential return is the creation of beauty. The patron needs to research artists and compare them, even travel to see their buildings and their sculptures in the flesh. 
The patron sees the building as a sermon in stone and the painting as a window into the divine. Since sacred art and architecture is partially a work of devotion and partially theology, it is best done by someone who tries to live it. The patron finds the artist. One thinks of Moses hiring Bezalel to build the tabernacle in the wilderness, which would shelter the Ark of the Covenant. See, the Lord has chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and has, he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for working gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. And he has given him the ability to teach others. I can't do uh, the history of patronage, but it really is true that if you find a great building, there is a, there is a, a talented architect and a great patron or a work of art. There is always behind that work of art, a talented artist and a patron. But I want to point out a couple. First, uh, do you know the fellow Abbot Suget? He is the abbot of the Abbey of Saint-Denis, where the kings of France were buried, Benedictine Abbey. And he is given the credit as being the inventor of the Gothic. Now, he himself was not the builder or the architect, but he was the patron. And in his memoirs, called the De Administrazione, he writes, Because of the age of the old walls and their impending ruin in some places, we summoned the best painters I could find from different regions. This is the nature, nature of the patron, to seek out and choose the best artists and architects. The patron needs to educate himself about the work of the artist and about, work, about art in general. The patron needs to become a connoisseur of sacred art and architecture through reading, travel, and just looking. This will help you to converse with the artist and the architect. It makes you a better client. The more you know about art, the more you will appreciate the hard work and the true talent it takes to produce it, and the more you will give good feedback during the creation of the art. That is because making art is a process, and the true patron has active participation in the process. This is one of my uh, many uh, great patrons meeting with uh, one of the artists. And as an architect, I give credit to all of my patrons. All the buildings we've been able to build is a result of great patronage. Now think about the word patron. The patron emulates the patron saint who helps us in our lives and in our professions. The patron spends time with the artist looking at their art, discussing it and its relation to theology. The patron helps deepen the artist's theological knowledge and at the same time allows the artist to deepen the patron's knowledge of art. It's a two-way discussion. 
The patron spends time with the architect, visiting historic buildings, choosing materials, visiting carving workshops. Many of our most happy works, the patrons have traveled to Italy to look at marble three and four times, which is great fun, good food, but it's a big commitment of time, money, and travel. When the artist is young, encourage them to stick close to tradition, to seek for excellence. When the artist is mature and knows the tradition, challenge them to innovate upon it. Push them to go beyond what they know and what they've done before. Push them to do their best work and seek for excellence. At the same time, give them respect and trust. As one of my clients once said to me, Duncan, I always want to know when you disagree with one of my recommendations. I want to know when you disagree, and I want to know why. In moments of indecision or disagreement, trust the artist. And by all means, show them your favorite paintings of the Madonna or the interiors or exteriors of churches that you like, but don't require them to copy it. Allow them to create a relative, not a clone. This is the great Jesuit church, started, uh, started on its way by St. Ignatius, but finished after his death by one of the greatest architects of the time, uh, Giacomo Barozzi di Vignola, finished by um, Della Porta. In order for the church to form the culture, we need to be seen as producing the best art and architecture, works that cannot be ignored. It sounds a little bit like the last talk. But how can we get the best artwork? To get the best artwork, we need the best artists and architects. But they have to want to work for the church. They need to see the church as a great client. How do we make sacred art attractive to the top artists? and architects. Half of the answer is financial, to have generous budgets for our buildings and artwork, but also to pay the artist well. Unfortunately, the opposite is also true. If we don't want to do that, we will get what we pay for. This was explained to me many years ago by a famous structural engineer who came to my office and saw that I was working on churches and he said, Wow, church work? Oh my goodness, why would you want to do that? He said, when church committees come to my office asking, wanting to hire an engineer, you know what I do? I said, what? He said, I give them $5,000 and tell them to go hire my competitor. <laughs> I said, wow, that's the reputation of churches, of church committees. The reality is we expect artists and architects to work for the church for the love of it. We think of them as a commodity and choose them based on the lowest price. It is not a recipe for creating a masterpiece that the world will notice. Whereas the top artists and architects are paid as well as people in other professions. In the past, the greatest artists, architects and musicians worked for the church in part or even in full. 
Today, the church shows how much it values the arts by not hiring the best and not being willing to pay top dollar. Great art takes great talent, but it also takes time. And the only way the great artist can afford to do great work is to spend the time necessary to do it and also to be well paid for it. That's a very controversial statement, but believe me, it's true. If you want a masterpiece, you have to pay for them. Another way to entice artists and architects is to make working for the church a sense of competition in which the artist is straining to build the most majestic exterior, the tallest interior, the most spiritual iconography, the most beautiful building. The work of art should be something out of the ordinary, of the highest artistic standards with the largest budgets. Shouldn't be baseball stadiums and museums, should be churches. We should think about sacred art and architecture like the expensive ointment the woman anoints Christ's body with, not some cheap oil bought from Walmart. Our art museums recognize the importance of historic sacred art. Are we patronizing anything good enough that people would go out of their way to visit or that would be worthy of an art museum? If we're not, then we're failing. We're not going to reach the culture. The architecture of our churches is very public and has the potential to lift up the architecture of the neighborhood, of the city, of the region. Why aren't the top classical architects fighting to work for the church? And believe me, there's lots of architects across this country and Great Britain especially that do fantastic traditional buildings. Why are they not fighting to work for the church? Because the church is not seen as a patroness whereas it has been replaced by the museums, the universities, the corporations, and private homes. That's where they want to work because that's where they can do good work, they have budgets, and they can be well paid. The church, on the other hand, seems to require that architects' fees are low, with budgets that don't even allow us to build as well as we did in the 1920s, much less the 1420s. What are some practical ways we can create a market for sacred art? Perhaps some highly remunerated competitions for sacred art and architecture could help promote the idea and inspire artists to participate. Quality artwork with generous budgets and buildings with budgets that allow the architect to build with the best. Stone, marble, bronze, onyx, cast iron, gold leaf, slate roofs, things that last and are beautiful. And all of our Catholic buildings should speak the same language of beauty, permanence, and transcendence. If we value education, catechesis, and even value our pastors, then we should build schools, halls, and rectories, and gymnasia at colleges. With custom artwork that reflects those values. Instead, we follow the secular culture in going after quantity at minimal cost in all of our ancillary buildings. It is not too long ago that the art and architecture of the Catholic parish and the Catholic University campus sought to be timeless. And I like to say, Notre Dame has this $8 billion endowment, and we're building lots of buildings, 
And they're not so bad today. They're, they're neo-Gothic, they're trying to be traditional and so on. But you know what, in the 1920s, we built better buildings and we had zero endowment. We had zero endowment and we built better buildings then. Probably had a better football team too. <laughs> so, and the third point is to found a sacred art academy. Why? The purpose of this is to create a supply of Catholic artists who can serve both the church and the secular realm. And this is where I teach. Of the 200 Catholic colleges and universities in America, only three teach architecture. Of the 200 colleges and universities in America, there are numerous departments of art, but I am not aware of any that are considered top in their field. Isn't this strange? An institution which has been at the forefront of art and architecture in her 2,000-year history? There are reasons, of course, why poor immigrants did not focus on training in art and architecture. And perhaps there was even the sense in the late 19th and the early 20th century that other private and secular schools were doing a pretty good job of it. And they were. There's also the reality that the Irish, and I'm half Irish, who largely ran the American church, did not come from a culture which had a strength in art, architecture, and music. This in part due to the oppression of Catholics by their English overlords. So I propose an art school with a theological vision to train artists in the Western tradition while understanding Catholic theories about art. This classical vision will ground them in the artistic patrimony of the church, the figure, and the integration of art with architecture. The faculty will be made up of experienced artists who are working for the church and for the public. Artists with expertise in the arts central to our sacred places, such as oil painting, fresco, sculpture, in metal and stone, mosaic and stained glass. Students will draw from casts and from life as has been the tradition for hundreds of years. Anatomy and perspective will be taught. These students also need to have a basic competency in architecture so that they can collaborate with architects. It's one of the interesting things about art and architecture is they used to be, they used to be considered one and modernism has put them asunder and separated them out. And so we have to relearn how architects need to relearn how to bring art into their buildings or onto their buildings. And the artist needs to be, learn how to work within the frame that the architect gives them. So it's a, it's a challenge for both, but it's what we always did because we were, we were integrated. We were one movement. A museum of great works of art should be nearby this academy, which the students can draw upon. A travel semester to France or Italy should be required. One model for this is the Sacred Art Academy in Florence, which this summer is offering a very interesting program by my friend Tony Visco, seen here, who I've worked with many times. What he's doing is a summer course where you go to Florence and you paint you paint a, an Annunciation. And Florence, as you might know, is the city of Annunciations. And so while you're painting your own Annunciation, 
you can travel around to the museums and the churches all over town and see all the different ways that artists through the ages have portrayed this great event, this great incarnational event. And I think it's an amazing uh, offering. And this is the Eisenhower Memorial on the left and uh, being designed by Frank Gehry, which is momentarily halted and hopefully halted, uh, due in part to uh, alternatives being offered by groups such as the National Civic Arts Society. And you see an alternative design to the Eisenhower Memorial on the right. The goal of the Academy is threefold. First, to train students who can produce Catholic art at the highest level. Second, give them a theological vision for ennobling our artistic culture. Paint that which we want people to think on to aspire to. And third, students who can work also in the secular realm of both public and private art for which they offer a classical view, which is, believe it or not, still desired by many. And there's been a lot of interest among the people of Washington and the Congress to try to stop the Eisenhower Memorial and give uh, our president, President Ike, uh, uh, a more fitting uh, monument. One of the reasons I believe that this can be accomplished and that a school like this can have a national impact on the church and the public realm is that it has happened before. From the academy at the Medici Villa, where Michelangelo trained, to the French Ecole de Beaux-Arts, where Ang taught, to the Pennsylvania Art Academy and other schools in America, which trained generations of top artists. There have been foundations of schools with talented professors and students, with serious debate and work that could affect the culture. Judging by the number of small classical ateliers across the US and Europe, I believe there's a groundswell of interest amongst the artists and the art students for such an academy. And this is uh, my students at Notre Dame in their graduation uh, outfits. They all put buildings on their mortar boards to, just so you know that they studied architecture. <laughs> the second reason I believe that founding an Academy of Sacred Art is possible is that it has been recently done in architecture. In 1989, Thomas Gordon Smith began to radically transform the University of Notre Dame School of Architecture into a classical program. He had understandably pushed back from the older faculty as well as the students. But after bringing in new faculty and focusing the school on tradition and architecture, including a whole year spent in Rome, it has been a huge success for the church and for our culture. And to make a point on this at how well my students have done in the world or how well they're doing in the world, when I graduated from architecture school in 1987, I thought there were about five or 10 classical architecture firms in the US, five or 10. Now, 30 years later, there are over 100. This could not have happened simply due to demand. This was caused in part by supply, by the supply of 30 to 50 classically trained architecture students every year into the profession by Notre Dame. Now, certainly, Duncan, the production of art is different than architecture. But I still believe that the Notre Dame School of Architecture is a model that could be emulated in a Catholic <laughs> art school. 
And again, most of my students, uh, though we have a large number of them that are interested in Sacred Heart, the reality is they go out and do everything. And, um, and they do it well. So the idea of a Sacred Art Academy or uh, an art academy, a major art academy at a Catholic school does not mean that we're only focusing on sacred art. It's just, it should be a, a major prong. And this is one of my favorite images. It's the, uh, the room of the prize at the Ecole de Beaux-Arts in Paris where you would receive your prize. And it has, surrounded by uh, ancient Greece, uh, the Middle Ages, and Rome, these three men, and then all the great artists and architects in conversation. And that's where you're receiving your prize because you're in conversation with them. So it's kind of a school of Athens painting for art and architecture. So in conclusion, I would suggest that the church become a patroness of the arts once again. To do this, she should start with what she knows best, sacred art and architecture. And then these three things, to foster the work of individual artists, to create a market for high quality sacred art, and to create a supply of classically trained Catholic artists. Thank you very much. Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.